as we're praying for the vine to be restored, again, the great news comes in that part of the answer to our prayer is that God sent the man who was at his right hand, the Son of Man. He sent Jesus to become the true vine. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. I'm wondering this morning, what are your favorite kind of rounds to make? What are your favorite rounds or routines to make? Maybe it's a morning routine, watering the flowers, uh, watering a garden, uh, checking on somebody that you love. Maybe it's an evening routine as you, right before you go to bed. What, what are the routines and the, the rounds that you make that have to do with keeping things alive? I wonder what those are for you and what your favorite ones are this morning. Because everyone has a routine. We have a handful of routines that keep us going. You know, we sometimes think of routine as something that's sort of negative or blasé, but routines are something that really give us life. Anyone that's ever had to keep things going, you know how important their routines are. Doctors make rounds. Pastors make rounds. Parents make rounds. Stock show participants make rounds. Students make rounds. Anybody entrusted with keeping things alive makes rounds. I always think of agriculture as some of my favorite rounds. Uh, when I was a teenager, before I really had the burden of responsibility of, you know, making the balance sheet work, and I could just be kind of a cowboy, well, I loved the routine of just feeding the horses before anyone else was at the barn, drinking coffee out of a little enamel cup. You know, I thought it was 1895, and I was going to bring it back, even if it wasn't. And I loved those moments. It was a routine that gave me life. And I watched as the horses ate and we got ready for the day. And it was one of my favorite things that I've ever done. I loved that routine. And this beautiful passage in John 15 that Cindy read for us, God the Father, the Heavenly Father, is introduced to us as a farmer. The Greek word is farmer. And the farmer is making his rounds. We are likened to growth in a vineyard. We are God's people. We are the farmer's field. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in botany, although that would be helpful. You don't have to have grown up on a farm, although that would be helpful, to appreciate this everyday metaphor. You can be a simple observer of trees or of houseplants or grass or a vegetable garden to understand the beauty of the routine of a farmer making the rounds in his fields. There's a resurrection routine that Jesus is preparing his disciples for. In the context, John 15 is right in the middle of this beautiful masterpiece of Jesus' last words. This is swan song with his disciples starting in chapter 13 and finishing in chapter 17 with a prayer. It's called the farewell address. It's John's recounting of everything that Jesus told his disciples before he left. And right in the midst of that, we have the washing of the feet and all those great images that come. And hey, Philip's going, where are you going, Jesus? We don't know. And how can we go? And he says, well, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, if, and I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may also be. He tells the disciples about the Holy Spirit. He tells them what they're going to need when he's gone. He's preparing them for the resurrection time, which we are in right now. And he's telling them, this is what the resurrection routine is going to look like. 
So that's what John 15 is all about. This is how you live. Because to live in the resurrection is not mere existence. It's an abundant life. Remember John 10, I came, the good shepherd comes, that the sheep may have life and have it to the full. Well, Jesus tells us in John 15 how we get in on that life, how that life comes to us, and how we participate with the Father who is introduced to us as a farmer. So, as we look at the text, if you want to follow along, we're in John 15, verses 1 through 8. There's a beautiful wordplay with the verbs in the Greek. It's kind of hard to pick up in English, and it's hard to translate. But there's three words right in a row that tell us what happens to the branches, what the farmer does with the branches that he comes across in the vineyard. And the first verb is ire. The next one is kathire. And then the one after that is katharoi. And they're all, they all are playing together. The first one simply means he removes. That's the bit, you know, my father comes through, he farms, he looks, he makes his rounds in the morning, and he sees, hey, that branch is dead. It's no longer bearing any fruit. So for the health of the vine, I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to take it away. I'm going to remove it. That's ere. And then the branches that are bearing fruit, thanks be to God, they're just bearing away well, they get pruned. They get pruned. That's kathire. And that's this, we're going to trim them up a little bit to make them better, to make, it, to make them produce more fruit. Uh, you have the picture of Mr. Miyagi in uh, The Karate Kid, the original, right, where he's trimming his bonsai tree. You think of that? He's trying to teach Daniel's son, you know, how important it is to care for the little bonsai plant. And it's bonsai tree, excuse me. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's what's happening. The farmer, is, he's, he's pruning the stuff that's growing to make it grow and produce more fruit in the right places. Uh, you tomato professionals out there, you know exactly which things to prune to make the most fruit. And uh, I'd, I'd like an education anytime you're available, by the way. But that's how it works. And then katharoi is this, is this cleaning. It's this, that's where we get the English word catharsis. And so, and Jesus introduces this idea. He said, you know, a father comes along, he's removing branches, he's pruning branches, everybody's getting attention. And then he says, you know, you can just kind of feel the anxiety. He's reading along, you're going, okay, he's pruning. The, am I a dead branch or am I a living branch? Is God going to throw me out or is he just going to prune on me or how this is going to go? And Jesus says, you or y'all are already katharoi. Y'all are already clean. You're already pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Isn't that great? It's like he just lets the pressure off. He says, okay, the father's coming through and he's got his little trimmers. But y'all are already clean. This process has already begun because of the word that I have spoken. Of course, the word is spoken no better than the way John introduces in the beginning. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus in his very presence is the word. He's the greatest word that is spoken. But his word to the people, to his disciples, is this word of cleanse, of cleansing and of healing. Because of the word that I have spoken to y'all, I wonder this morning if we have heard this word. When's the last time you remember hearing a word from Jesus that would make you feel clean, that would make you feel whole and cleansed, that you were in the right place on the vine? Y'all are already clean because of the word that I've spoken. This is a critical word. If we don't hear this word, then we think it's our job to prune ourselves. And we all know this is a dead-end task. Have you heard this word, the one that brings real joy through a loving pruning, the hands of the Father? 
who's a good farmer. Another thing that occurs to me in this passage is the big word that you pick up on that is kind of hard to translate in English too, just because we don't use it a lot, probably a time in English history where we used it more and we understood it. I never use the word abide in my everyday language. You know, if it's not for Jeff Bridges and the great Lebowski, we don't hear it in pop culture, the word abide. And so we, a lot of translations will say remain, you know, remain in the vine and that's okay. There's something about this word abiding and it happens 10 times in this text that, that we're not reading all of today, but going through the end of chapter 15. And it's really the governing word and it's, it's calling out to us about what we're supposed to do. And I have to confess that when I first read this passage and I begin to think about it, and still I'm tempted when I read this passage, I want to think, because I'll just tell you there's an imperative in the passage. There is something that Jesus says, you must do this. You must do this. Um, if, if you wonder what an imperative is, and I always have to review because my English was a long time ago, and uh, I, have to, I have to think back and remember, oh yeah, imperative. And so imperative is like, um, you, don't, you must do this, you don't have a choice. So this is like, we delineate this, uh, our son who's 13, he'll ask me sometimes, I'll say, hey son, put on some shoes and come out and help me in the garage for a little while. Or no, I'll say, I'll say hey, do you want to come out and help me for a little while? You know, and y'all know that goes, and he's learned to say, well dad, I'd like to just do what I'm doing unless this is one of those times where I don't have a choice. <laughs> so, so, okay, there's a difference. There's a difference. So, yes, okay, you're, you got me. This is the time you don't have a choice. You must join me in the garage. So it's to your advantage to put your shoes on, but I'm not going to make you. So um, that's, that's what an imperative is. You must. You must do this. Well, we tend to think, I think, as self-sufficient people who get along pretty well in life, that the imperative in this text is bear fruit. Because we see, like, this is what brings the Father glory, that you may bear much fruit, fruit that lasts. And if you don't bear fruit, you're going to get tossed out. And if you are bearing fruit, you're going to get pruned so you can bear more fruit. So we tend to think the imperative is, y'all go bear fruit. Go do good stuff, right? You're the church. Go, and, we, and you wouldn't be here if you weren't interested in that. And so we tend to think, that's my job. I just got to go do better. I got to go do more. I got to go bear more fruit. But that puts the cart before the horse. Because the imperative in the text is, Abide in me as I abide in you. That's first things first. Abide in me as I abide in you. And the trick to abiding is to receive the word that Jesus has already given us. And that's, that's our access point. That's how we abide. And so Jesus is saying, if you'll remain in me, I'm the true vine. If you'll abide in me, then you're going to bear fruit. It's, it just works that way. It happens. So... Abide in me as I abide in you. Now, fruit is the indicator, though. If, if you want, and there's plenty of people that go through life and just saying, like, I'm an I'm a, I'm a A-plus abider. I abide all the time. I've been going to Sunday school my whole life. I, I, do every, I know all the books of the Bible. I can tell. I won Bible trivia from the time I was little. I'm an abiding son of a gun. I abide in every way. I've been abiding since before. People in my county were abiding. And we can do that, but sometimes you don't see fruit in their lives. Or maybe they're not connected to other Christians, so there's no way to really see it in the fullness. And so fruit is definitely a list test. We should pay attention to the fruit. That's where we sort of learn to make rounds. And we make rounds with, with groups of people that we love that'll tell us the truth. And sometimes they'll say, hey, I've been making rounds on your life there, Strebeck, and I don't see fruit over here. And so it's important for we make rounds together. We, we talk to each other about how we're bearing fruit. But when we see that we're not bearing fruit and we're motivated to bear fruit, again, we can't jump out and say, well, I'm just going to try harder. 
Any try harder people out there? I'm a, I'm a try harder person. If I hit a wall, I'm like, I'm just going to get something bigger to run through the wall uh, with. So I'll make my head harder or something. I'm going to hit it again. And that doesn't work this way. You got to take a step back and focus on the quality of the abiding. Because if the quality of the abiding is good, then the fruit's going to be good. So it's just counterintuitive, though. And it's like Jesus has already taken the pressure off. He's like, hey, I've spoken the word, and it's made y'all clean. And you're just going to remain in me. Just abide in me, and there's going to be fruit that's going to come that you can't even imagine. So we back up together today, and we sort of make the rounds. We take a little inventory, and we observe the quality of our abiding. How are we abiding? How are we showing up? What is one way that you can think of that you can abide? This abiding includes worshiping and studying and confessing our sins, always in the context of each other. We don't abide as individuals. We don't get our own little vine. We're, we're, in, we're all in the vine together. We're all abiding in the same true vine. So this is why it's, it's, you can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. It just doesn't work. Uh, it's not how we're set up. So what are the ways that we have been called to abide? What is the quality of our abiding? I think in addition to the good news of the gospel being manifest in that great statement of y'all are already clean by the word that I've spoken, that's just been one I've been hanging on to this week. Going, This is wonderful. This is such a joy. It's just, you read it and you, and you just say, thank you, Jesus. You know, we're already clean by the word that, that Jesus has spoken But the gospel good news message continues when I think about this whole concept, when I get started and I get out my journal and I say, okay, I noticed right here, Lord, that there's an absence of fruit. I expected bell peppers here and all I've got is leaves, nothing. And and I want to, you know, when I start focusing in, there's always this callback, this reminder to remember that as hard as I may be trying to make the rounds and as many things as I may notice, The best news of all is that the father is the farmer. It's the father's rounds that make it all work. We don't don't have to be the ones that catch everything. The father will make his rounds, and he will help us see even at this very moment. And so we have the job of abiding, of resting together, this activity of remaining and abiding, of showing up. That's our work. That's our task. All throughout the Old Testament, there are many places in the prophets where, um, where God's people are referred to as a vineyard. You know, you think of those opening chapters of Jeremiah where uh, God planted a vineyard and everything's going well. And then through our rebellion and our sin and, the, and the, you know, people come in and raid the vine and the vine goes to pot, doesn't grow well. There's one of these passages in, in uh, Psalm 80. I read this during Lent, and I I just loved it. So I'm going to read a couple of pieces uh, from Psalm 80. And this is this image of Israel as a vineyard. So here here the the recounting of of this sort of great thanksgiving of our history and God's history. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt, right? So this image of God's people coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, were saved through the Red Sea, were saved for a certain kind of life. And 
This is a vine. The psalmist is saying, we're a vine. You brought us out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it, right? You cleared all the brush. You planted us in a great spot, good soil. You cleared the ground. The vine took deep root and it filled the land. Even the mountains were covered with the shade of the vine. Can you picture it? The mighty cedars were covered with the vine. It's great imagery. The vine sent out its branches to the sea. It shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along just pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all who move in the field feed on it. It's this mourning, this lamenting that, God, our, our vineyard's in bad shape. And what, what, what happened? We used to be this lush vineyard, and now we're just, we're just out here with the laughingstock of the nations. And as part of the prayer for restoration, this is what the psalmist says, God, let your hand be upon the one at your right hand. And it's really the man at your right hand. So this, can you see the allusion to Jesus here? Let your hand be upon the man at your right hand, the, the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. And if you'll do that, we'll never turn back. And it's, there's a great prayer in there that says, Lord, tend your vine. That was one of my favorite prayers during Lent. Lord, tend this vine. I mean, it looks like it's in shambles sometimes, but would you tend this vine? Would you take care of it? But as we're praying for the vine to be restored, again, the great news comes in that part of the answer to our prayer is that God sent the man who was at his right hand, the Son of Man. He sent Jesus to become the true vine. So we are struggling trying to figure out how to be a vineyard, and Jesus comes along and he is obedient in all the ways that we were not. And so Jesus succeeds where we have failed. That's why Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. And where the first Adam failed, Jesus, the second Adam, succeeds. And now he's the true vine, and we get to be a part of the life that is coming from God, from God the farmer, who's farming the vineyard of his son, and we get to be a part of that. Y'all... We are already clean because of the word that Jesus has spoken. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.